0: We're on our fourth Sunday of Advent. I don't know where all that time goes, but it does. It passes by. And so we have been, for anyone that wouldn't know, we've been working through what is the purpose of Christmas? Why Christmas? Why do we even bother with Christmas? What's so special about Christmas? And we are here now on the last. Uh, Sunday of this series, uh, and we're looking at the fact that the purpose of Christmas is Christmas is a time of, or for, reconciliation. We looked at last week that Christmas is a time for salvation, and the week before that we looked at the reality that Christmas is a time of celebration. And uh, there's a new word, I didn't know if you knew that, but can you say it with me? Permacrisis. 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 oh is a very, very great group today listening <laughs> they're they're ghosting Yeah, they're ghosting Anyway, hermit, that's another new word, Pastor Mike jokes about that That was a new word a few years back, but hermit crisis apparently is a brand new word, so there you go, I taught you a new word, and uh, it's, it's something that is that you see around the world right now, and, and Collins English Dictionary said that they revealed this word for this year because of the fact <coughs> it's a noun, And how it's defined in HarperCollins is as an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. So we are in a perma-crisis. We talked about the war in Ukraine. We're talking about climate change. We're seeing that all around. Political instability in many nations. Medical system in crisis. We all want to hear people talk, they talk a lot about that in these days. And then we think of the surge of inflation, if they're not talking about medical crisis, everyone's talking about how much everything costs. And then of course we know all that we've been through in a pandemic. And so in a crisis means that there's no peace, people have no sense of peace. But I want to tell you today that Christmas is the time of good news. And I, I believe it's the perma good news. And, and you know, the word perma actually means, there's, there's, a, there's a teaching out there about perma, is this uh, sense of well-being, that you need to have this to have a sense of, of well-being and you need to have a, a positive emotions and you need to be engaged and you need to have meaningful relationships and you need to find meaning in life and you need to find a place where you have a sense that you're accomplishing something that's what gives people this sense of perma and I want to say today well we are people of the perma good news God knew this long before anyone sat down and put this all together on a piece of paper because God knows all of this is important for our, that word, shalom. What does shalom actually mean? We use it a lot for peace, but it actually means your well being. That God wants you to experience His good news today. That He wants you to have this sense of well being. And that's why I use this term. Maybe I'll make it my own new word today, perma good news. And so Luke said it. There he recorded it in chapter 2, verse 14. But he recorded the words of this great heavenly host of angels who said, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God's perma rests. And so I believe we are people today of perma good news and perma peace. And so our last purpose that we look at during this Christmas season is this time for reconciliation. To reconcile reconcile is to restore peace. And so there is that reality, this peace with God and this uh, peace with others and peace in our own hearts and how important that is. See, reconciliation defuses conflict and turns chaos into calmness. It quiets quarrels. It swaps our stress for God's serenity, turns tension into tranquility, and produces peace of mind instead of panic or pressure. I uh, like what Billy Graham had to say many years ago Christ alone can bring lasting peace, peace with God, peace among many nations, and peace within our own hearts. And so the Bible talks about three kinds of peace. There is that peace with God, which is a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can have peace with God. You know, we hear a lot of people will say, even on someone's dying bed, have you made peace with God? That's a phrase we've heard often. Are you at peace with God? So we can have peace with God. And then there is that peace with oneself. We can know and experience the peace of God. And how important it is for us now to live in peace with one another. When we think today about the peace of God, our world has known nothing but war, hasn't it? Man against man. It started right back in the beginning between the two brothers, Cain and Abel. We've known nation against nation since the Tower of Babel. It seems like nations have been against each other. And so there are many wars today as we sit in this little island in Canada in peace Today. There are many parts of the world that wars are raging. By far, I want to say to you today, though, the reason for what we're talking about today the worst war there has ever been is that war is the most destructive. It is those who are fighting against God. That there's a wrestling going on, there is a battle for control. You know, I I realize that I've met some Christians. Who have accepted Christ, but are still rebellious towards the things of God. You ever meet people like that? But what I'm talking about here is mankind is at war with God. We have sinned and we have fallen short. We talked about a lot of that last week. About salvation. And so we are at odds with God. And there is something that goes on within us in our life. That we know something isn't right with our maker and our creator. And we war against God and the things of God. My friends, that's the greatest war. Far greater than even the wars that we hear around the world. Though I don't want to dismiss them and how tragic they are. But the worst war of all is being not at peace with God. Listen to this story. I've used this one a few times and I've always liked it. Dear Paco, Ernest Hemingway's little short story, The Capital of the World. The story revolves around a father and his teenage son, Paco, and is set in the backdrop of Spain. With desires to become a matador, And to escape his father's control, sounds much like the prodigal son, Paco runs away to the capital of Spain, Madrid. But his father is desperate to reconcile with him, and so he follows him there into Madrid, and he has no way of finding him in Madrid. So he goes to the local newspaper, and he puts in an ad, and it says, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Love, Dad. Well, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, to his surprise, were 800 tacos. (laughs) All seeking forgiveness and reconciliation with their fathers. And I want to tell you today that your greatest need is always your reconciliation with your Heavenly Father. Amen. You know, Paul said it this way, that God was reconciled the world to himself in Christ. God is not at war with you. God doesn't want to fight with you. Christmas tells us that God has done everything for us to provide the way of peace, that we can have peace with God. That God is for us, as I said earlier today. God seeks and provides all that is needed for reconciliation. Jesus came to tear down the rules and the regulations and the barriers that men put up between people and God. He came to tear it down that we can have and know that peace with God. So what does this word reconciliation actually mean? It actually means that there are two parties that are in conflict that are now brought together peacefully. And so it's that bringing together of friends who have been strange. Paul says that this reconciliation is something that God has provided for us through our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, through his cross, through his death, through his life, through the resurrection, and even now he's interceding on our behalf as our high priest because his desire is that we would know peace with God. And as we spoke last week, you can't work for it, you can't achieve it, you could even try to build a bridge, but it will not work because God has provided the bridge once and for all. We mentioned earlier that the Tower of Babel wasn't that the mistake that they made. They were going to build the tower to God. And it all fell apart. <laughs> And so we have to receive this gift of grace as we spoke about last week. This peace with God is another gift of grace. Remember what we said that grace was? God's riches at Christ's expense. So sin has made us enemies. Someone wrote this. John Stott actually wrote it. The cross has brought us peace. Sin created a gulf between us and God. The cross has bridged it. Sin broke the relationship, and the cross has restored it. That's why often, you know, these models that we would see pictures when we were younger, that people would try to explain to us that there was this great canyon, and God was on one side, and man on the other, and there was this great divide, and then they say that Christ came, and they build a bridge, and they put the cross there as the bridge. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the good news. That's the permanent good news that Christ has died once and for all, so that we can experience peace with God. Amen. Praise God. And that's where it all starts. praise God it was said by Isaiah that he would be the Prince of Peace. This was spoken all those years before, that when he came, this babe that is born in the manger is the Prince of Peace. Missionary Don Richardson wrote a book entitled The Peace Child, and he tells the story of two tribes in Papua New Guinea who in taking a blood feud between themselves for several generations. It was just passed on from child on, from one generation to another. And they began to fight and kill and maim each other uh, and it went on and on. And so finally they realized they were wiping each other out. The two tribes were going to be extinct if they kept doing this, this feud that they had. But what could they do to end that? And so the missionary goes on to tell what the chiefs did. The chiefs decided they needed to meet, and they came, and they brought a child with them called the peace child. And so the one chief passed his son to the other chief and said, as long as my son is there with you, this peace child, we will live in peace with each other. And so somebody said, isn't it so true what God has done for us? that Jesus is the peace child that left his heavenly throne and was brought here to earth for us so that we can have peace with God, our Prince of Peace. He is that peace child. How do you have peace with God? Well, my friends, first of all, we mentioned a lot of this last week, but I, I say it again. First of all, we need to know that God is for us, that God is coming to us, that God loves us, that he has done everything possible for us to have peace with him. So if we are at odds with God, it's not on his side. We have to admit that there's a separation. We have to admit that we have sinned. We have to admit that we have fallen short of the glory of God and confess that. And then we have to realize that Christ is God's only provision. For you to have peace with him. There are no other ways. He is the only way. And you need to say to Christ, I receive you as my Lord and as my Prince of Peace. Oh, my friends, it is so wonderful to be able to put your head on your pillow at night and know you have the peace with God. Oh, what a joy. It never bolts. Right? doesn't matter what troubles you are in, in life and what you're facing. But to know that you are at peace with God is such a wonderful thing. I pray you know it today. I pray you know it today. That you know it in the, down in your bones. <laughs> that you know that you're at peace with God. And it's not about what you've done and what you haven't done. It is about the grace of God. And I want to encourage you today. Brothers and sisters, the enemy will want to steal that peace. And if there's something in our lives, if we're still at odds with God, if we have a rebellious spirit with the Lord, we just need to bring it to the cross of Christ. And we can be at peace with God in a moment, in a prayer. In a prayer. That's all it takes. I praise God that if we sin, Scripture says we have an advocate. We have a person who pleads our case before the throne. And you can have the peace with God. And then you have this experience of the peace of God. And so the truth of it is, my friends, you cannot have the peace of God unless you have peace with God. That's not rocket science. That's pretty simple, but there's a lot of people who will pray and pray and pray and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? And this is going on and that's going on. And the point is, you cannot really know the peace of God unless you have peace with God. That's right. That's where you start. You have to be at peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then there's this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit that when He comes, and all believers have the Holy Spirit, by the way, when you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and He gives you the peace of God. And it's one of the greatest witnesses of the Holy Spirit that God can use. When a believer going through all kinds of trials and troubles somehow stands there and has this peace of God. And people can't make sense of it. Your family questions it. They think you've lost your mind. (laughs) When you can have the peace of God. Jesus offers this peace of God. And the more you pray, the less you panic. The more you worship, the less you worry. That's why worship is so important, my friends. And you feel more patient and less pressured. I like what Packer said in this quote, The peace of God is the first and foremost peace with God. It is the state of affairs in which God, instead of being against us, is for us. No account of God's peace, which does not start here, can do other than mislead. And so as I've made that very clear, you have to have the peace of God in order to experience peace with God, to experience the peace of God. It was interesting, a Christian doctor decided to carry out an interest in survey recently involving all his patients, and he gave them a few questions while they sat long in the waiting room, and he asked them this question, what is your number one wish? And analyzing the answers, the doctor found that the number one wish, 67% of the patients said to have peace of mind. Peace of mind. We know we're living in a day where there's a lot of mental health issues and it's on the rise. And what a gift it is to have the peace of God, to have peace of mind. Life is perfect. No, that's not what we're talking about but to have the peace of God, even in the midst of facing difficulties. See, this peace, the things that rob our peace, are uncontrollable circumstances. A lot of us have those uncontrollable circumstances happen to us. It's illness, deaths, layoffs, things that we can't control. And then there's those unchangeable people we meet. Hmm, hmm. right? The ones that won't change. <laughs> And don't act, and don't react, and do what you think they should do. (laughs) And then there's those unexplainable problems. When life isn't fair. And I hope you know that. I have to learn that the hard way. I'm an idealist. And I still get my, as we say, good news expression, my knickers in a knot. When life isn't fair. But it isn't. And so it's those things that will rob us of our peace. And then, you know, people can respond to these peace robbers, somebody said, in three different ways. There are those, you've met them, and I've done even ladies' retreats about this, there are those who try harder to control everything and everybody. Right? That's going to solve everything. No, it's not. It only gets worse. And then there's those who just give up fatalistic and just say, well, that is what it is. And they lose their hope and their purpose and just everything in life because they've just given up. And they allow others to make decisions for them and control them, or the enemy. Praise God, there are those who can gain that true peace, that peace of mind Because they are responding to situations as Jesus would respond. And they are receiving from the Holy Spirit the power, the wisdom to know and the discernment how to deal with those things that would rob our peace. You have a choice today to decide which party you want to be a part of. The ones who go around controlling everyone? The ones who just give up fatalistics? Or the ones who depend upon the Holy Spirit to give you the peace of God no matter what you're going through? You know, this prayer, I, I know it's fine print for some of you there trying to see it, but this serenity prayer was made famous. But you know what the problem is, like all things in life? They shortened it. Most most quotes, when they quote this prayer, they end at the beginning of the prayer, where it says, the wisdom to know the difference. And yet the prayer was given to show you what are the ways to peace, the serenity prayer. What are the steps towards how you can have the peace of God. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Amen. See what he says or the path to having the peace of God in this prayer? It is living and enjoying one day at a time. Where did we hear that before? And we think of that old song, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. That's all we're any of us are really given, is one day at a time. And, and then he goes on about accepting what cannot be changed. That is coming to that place where we realize there are things going to happen in my life and my world around me that I cannot control. And so worrying about it is not going to help us. Trusting in God and his loving care and wisdom. And then he ends the prayer with saying, surrender. When was the last time you surrendered everything to the Lord? Gave it all to Him. We sing about it in the church. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee. We, We talk about surrender. But if you want to have the peace of God, the peace of God comes from a surrendered life giving him your good things and all of your blessings, but also giving him your struggles and your troubles and all those things you can't control. A young man, a teenager, was eager to grow in his Christian life, and he got a piece of paper and made a list of all for God. And I think of some of us in our early journeys in our faith and some of us even in ministry when we began. He wrote down the things he would give up and the places he would go to minister and the areas of ministry and he would enter. And he was excited and he went to the church for a time of prayer and he laid his list down on the altar. He thought he would feel joy but instead he felt empty. So he went back home and he he added more things to his list and he wrote them down, those things that he would do and wouldn't do and he made a longer list and he went again and put it on the altar. But he still felt nothing. Then he went to see his old, wise pastor. He told him the situation and he said, I don't know what's going on and I need help. And the pastor said wisely to this young man, Take a blank sheet of paper. Sign your name at the bottom. Put that on the altar. And see what happens. And so the young man in prayer went and kneeled before the Lord. And he laid that piece of paper. And he said, Lord, I surrender all of it to you. All of it. And it was in that moment that he received the wonderful peace of God. My friends, we will not have the peace of God if we have not surrendered all. So we can have this peace with God, and then we experience this peace of God, wonderful peace, there's wonderful songs that we've sung in the church over the years about God's peace. But then he does something very powerfully. He makes us now into peacemakers. We are called to be his peacemakers. And he gives you a desire within you to live at peace with others, and he gives you the ability to do so, and praise God for the Holy Spirit that empowers you to be a reconciler with those in whom you seem to be in conflict. And so it's God's desire today, not just that we have the peace of God, not just that we are at peace with God, but that we who do have all that live in peace with one another, especially in starting in his church and moving out into our relationships. In one of the Peanuts cartoon, Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. You ever feel like that? <laughs> and Charlie says, but Lucy, I thought you said you had inner peace. Lucy replies, I do have inner peace. I still have odor of obnoxiousness. <laughs> oh, we've met a few people like that over the years, haven't we? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. For they will be called who? The children, children of God. Now we can reverse that. We say that we are in Christ, so therefore we're the children of God. How are we supposed to be, and who are we supposed to be? Peacemakers. I like what somebody said. The true children of God are peacemakers, not troublemakers. Ooh. Being a peacemaker is not avoiding conflict. It's not running from a problem or pretending it doesn't exist. It isn't always just giving back and giving in and never speaking up. That's passivity. That's not peacemaking. And so Romans 12, 18 says, this is a powerful scripture. Because this is only the part we have power over. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, with all people. So in other words, what what is being said here by Paul to the church in Rome, you have no power over the other person, but you do have power over how you live your life. And so you are called by God. To be a peacemaker. To be a person, which Paul uses the term, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to reconcile people to God through Christ. As Christ does it, but we point people to that. But then we who have been reconciled with God go out and do the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, man, I, have over the years, my heart has been broken because I think of how many people somehow who say they love the Lord and worship the Lord are going around divisively and doing disunity and destroying the unity and the bond of peace. And I can't help to think, often I pray, what do you think you're doing? And we won't get into that today. I can tell you stories. We won't get into that today. All done in the name of Jesus, but somehow they've missed. What Paul has said here, that we are not to be divisive, but we are to be people working towards unity and reconciliation. And we have a responsibility to do our part. We have no power over the other person. So what is this saying to be a peacemaker? It means to actively try to end all conflicts. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to end the conflicts. I'm trying to take the initiative. I'm the one who sucks it up. I, I've been joking, as my mom used to always say to me when I was blind and different things, suck it up, buttercup. But you know, you get to a place where you, you could sit there and lick your wounds. And woe is me. And let me tell everyone about my wounds and what so-and-so has done to me. And oh, woe is me. There comes a point where the Lord and the Holy Spirit would say, now enough of that. You need to go reconciled with that individual that is why when you are in christ husband and wife very hard to stay angry with each other very long because the holy spirit hopefully is working on one of you and you suck it up buttercup and you go and apologize and you work out those issues because if the husband has the ministry of reconciliation and you have the ministry of reconciliation husbands and wives should be quickly reconciled But unfortunately many of us live in life, and life is not fair, and no matter how uh, godly and spirit-filled you've been, you don't have the power over your spouse. But you do have power over what you do. So you take the initiative, and you promote this reconciliation when relationships break down, and you offer forgiveness to those who have hurt you, and you allow others to forgive you, and you apologize, when you have hurt others. I like what somebody said in this personal journal recorded. There's a terrible statistic in our world. Since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. In this study, the periodical discovered that out of 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years saw actual peace on earth. Moreover, in access of eight thousand peace trees, every one of them was broken. So two of the greatest conflicts, whether it's world, the lack of world peace or nations against nations, or whether it's in my own home or amongst believers in Christ or amongst my families or my neighbors, wherever it might be, I'll tell you the one problem that gets in the way every time, and you can nail it down to it, it's ego. It's my own self-centeredness. And I want things, as, as we've heard this real old song, to say, my way. It's got to be my way. I want it my way. And then you meet someone else who has to have it their way, and guess what? Sparks begin to fly. And I like what somebody else said. There's another thing that can cause a lot of issues. That's when we expect others to meet our needs that only God can meet. Man, if you would learn this lesson in life, it can be life-changing. That we put on other people expectations, our expectations... And we're wanting them to meet our expectations. And guess what? Nobody does. And nobody's meant to because only God is supposed to meet some of those needs. The needs that we're talking about. And you're expecting everyone else around your life to meet those needs that every God is supposed to meet. And I had an eye-opening experience many, many years ago when I was at a pastor's retreat and one statement, I don't remember anything else that was said at that conference, unfortunately. But I always remember this statement because it was life-changing. Unrealistic expectations lead to frustrations. And you go around living a frustrated life. And I believe believers can be frustrated. Because what is going on is I'm having these unrealistic expectations on my spouses, on my children, on my neighbors, on other people in the church, in my community, and I'm going around and nobody meets my expectations, so I'm at odds with people, and I'm never happy. And so guess what? You never will be. Because ultimately, God is the only one who can meet that void and that need in your heart and life. And you can allow people to be who they're meant to be under god's grace instead of living up to your expectations so if there's something that causes conflict and warring in our lives in everyday life it's a lot to do with self-centeredness and somebody in humility needs to come before the lord in brokenness and humility but it also can be that I am setting such unrealistic expectations on other people that I am never satisfied, I am never happy, I'm always chasing the wind. And never run. As we bring this to a close today, if you really want to know peace, you need to know God. This was going around a few years ago, know God no. L- No peace. No God. You know peace. Now is that saying what people think peace? There's no issues, no troubles, no difficulties. That's not what we're saying here. There are a lot of people who come to faith, and I was one of them, thinking that when I came to faith, it would just be heaven on earth. Oh, and then we went to Bible school, and we just thought that would be heaven on earth. I remember a dear pastor, saint of the Lord, prayed over us, when we went off to Bible school in Europe, and he laid his hands on us, and a uh, man of God filled the Holy Spirit, and he laid his hand, and I wanted him to take his hands off, because he started to pray, Lord, they're going in a den of <laughs> and I prayed that you would, and we were like, whoa, this is not what we signed up for, we signed up for heaven on earth. There's no such thing, my like friends. But you can know the peace of God when you have the peace with God. And through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, He can help you to live in peace with others. That doesn't mean everyone is always going to agree with you, and there's never going to be issues or conflict. That's not what it's about. It's about, despite that, we can live in peace with each other. And all of this happens because of the Prince of Peace, who now reigns in our lives, that we have been reconciled with the Father, and now can be reconciled with someone or anyone else. I like what somebody said. You want to give some gifts this Christmas? They're beyond monetary value. Mend a quarrel. Dismiss suspicion. Tell someone that you haven't for a long while. I love you. Give something away anonymously. Forgive someone who has treated you wrong. Turn away wrath with a soft answer. Apologize if you were wrong. Be especially kind to someone with whom you work with that maybe hasn't been kind to you. Give them that gift this Christmas. Give as God has given to you in Christ without obligation or announcement or fanfare or reservation or hypocrisy as the worship team comes and we end this service today this service where we celebrate that it is a time of reconciliation it is a time of peace I have some hard questions to ask and I believe God has been here this morning doing business with us is there someone you need to make peace with this Christmas is there someone you need to make peace with this Christmas is there someone you need to forgive See, you will not know the peace of God if you are going around harboring a root of bitterness. This is where the enemy gets in because he wants to rob you of his peace. And he will get in there with something that starts with a small quarrel or unforgiveness. That unforgiveness begins to stew and boil because it's not given under the lordship of Christ and under the blood of Christ. And it begins to become a root of bitterness. And my friends, I have met even good godly people that a root of bitterness will take away all their joy and eventually destroy them. So the Holy Spirit is asking that hard question today. Is there someone you need to forgive? Well, today is the day. I want to challenge you today. Do you know the peace of God? Do you really, would you be a person that others would say, and there's just a wonderful peace about them? Because you have peace with God, and you are living in the peace of God, because you know what it is to put that piece of paper on the altar, totally blank, and you surrendered everything to Him. And I want to challenge you today, my friends. The purpose of Christmas, why are we here as a church at all, is that we are here with this glorious, wonderful message that anyone at any time can have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. Do you know his peace? I hope and pray you don't have to wait till you're at your last breath and somebody comes in if you have that opportunity and says Do you have the peace with God. Why would you wait when you can have the peace of God with God today and know it and experience it? And I challenge you as we sing this closing song.